Good morning, everyone. It is indeed sunny outside, and I hope it is sunny inside as well. But it may be also cloudy inside. It may be windy inside. There may be a storm alert inside. So the weather outside and inside is not always coherent. But um, whatever the weather is, um, enjoy it, be with it. This morning, um, I want to focus my attention, my talk on some issues that were raised in our last gathering. Um, Michelle asked if you have to study the Buddha's teachings in order to awaken. And my response was no. And then Rich also had an email exchange with me about the value of the teachings. And so I want to address those issues with you today. <clears throat> the image on our reminder was an image of the thinker, the Rodin statue. And the image that I found was of this thinker sitting in a natural setting. And somehow it felt that that connection of this thinker and the beautiful greenery and trees around him was incongruous. Somehow <laughs> that image didn't belong <laughs> in the natural setting. And I wonder if, if you felt that way as well. In relation, in distinction with that image was an image of the Buddha sitting under the bow tree in a very different posture than the thinker. The Buddha's image was one of stability, symmetry, softness, openness, openness. The thinker is all curled up. Imagine, I'm imagining that the thinker is trying to figure something out. It's really working hard. While the Buddha is not. The Buddha is perhaps sitting in Shikantaza not thinking in the way that the thinker is thinking. Certainly thoughts may be arising, as of course they always do, but he's not thinking his thoughts. He's allowing the thoughts to arise and move naturally. So shikan taza, shikan, shikan, Purely this, nothing but 
just, just direct this. Shikan, pure, direct. Ta, strike. Strike. Ta, za, sit, sitting. As zazen, sitting, meditation, zen, chan. Shikan, ta, za. Just pure sitting. Just sitting. This is our practice. This is the, the pure direct practice that need not be um, informed by any study. Buddha is sitting in the, nat in the natural world in this very open, available place. He's not sitting there with a book or listening to a podcast. He's just sitting, being open and available. But that action has been the result of a search. We call that way-seeking mind. And my, my presumption is that every single one of you is being moved by a way-seeking mind, looking for something, searching for something, probably something we could call a fully realized freedom as a human being. So my questions with respect to Shikantaza, maybe first of all, what are we looking for? What are we searching for that has anything to do with Shikantaza? Why would Shikantaza be a deep and adequate response to our way-seeking mind? And here I will share a story with you. Our Sangha, our Oan Sangha seems to be really kind of interested in two major things, food and stories. So here's a story. There's a wonderful um, figure in actually Hindu and Sufi tradition called Nasruddin. He's supposedly a wise fool. And there are many stories connected with Nasruddin, N-A-S-R-U-D-I-N. And this story finds Nasruddin leading a donkey with lots of bales of straw on his back toward the border of his country. And the border guard notices that Nasruddin is approaching 
and asks Nasruddin what his business here is at the border. And Nasruddin says, well, I'm an honest smuggler. And the border agent says, well, I'm going to have to examine uh, what you're carrying. And if I find something that is illegal, I'm going to have to ask you either to turn around or to pay a, a fine. And Nasruddin says, well, I'm an honest smuggler. You, you won't find anything. And the border agent continues to examine the straw looking all through it, doesn't find anything. Okay, go ahead. Um, you can cross, Nasruddin crosses. Next day, the same thing happens. Nasruddin comes with his donkey and the straw and the border agent says, yeah, I, I mean, here you are again. I, I, I have the sense that there's something that you're taking across the border. And Nasruddin says, I'm an honest smuggler, you know, just do all the examining you want. And indeed, the border agent does thoroughly examine Nasruddin's clothing and his pockets and his hair and <laughs> what's he's in his shoes and looks around the donkey and can't find anything. Go ahead, Nasruddin, pass the border. Well, this goes on day after day after day. And the border agent cannot find anything um, that is going across the border. But what he does notice is that Nasruddin, Nasruddin's clothing is becoming more and more exotic. His, his jewelry is becoming more and more expensive. His, everything about him seems uh, to indicate that he's getting wealthier and wealthier. His clothing is getting fancier and his hair looks different. And, and he, he just can't figure out what, he's obviously smuggling something over the border and the border agent can't figure it out. Well, finally, the border agent retires with this still mystery in his mind. It weighs on him that he, that he has been letting somebody cross the border, getting richer and richer, obviously, but not finding anything to indicate what the cause of this is. And, it happens that one day during retirement, this border agent notices Nasruddin in a crowd of people and approaches him and says, you know, I know I'm retired, but this has been bothering me uh, for many years. I, I really have to figure out what, what you have been smuggling across the border. Um, it, it will really, give me some peace to have finally figured this out. What was it? And very simply, Nasruddin replied, donkeys. So Shikantaza, we are looking for what's right in front of us.
he missed the donkey, thinking that there was something hidden, something, something that he couldn't find because it was cleverly concealed. Oh, it was right in front of him. And so in Shikantaza, what we're looking for is right in front of us. We don't have to study anything. Just, just look, <laughs> just look at what appears in front of us. And we think, oh, there's something special here. There's some special state. <laughs> there's some hidden teaching that we're just not finding. So what we're looking for is right here. And how, and we miss it. And often when we uh, hear the reports of people who are so-called awakened, what typically they say is, it was here all the time. Uh, I don't know how I missed it, <laughs> you know. So that's the first Nasruddin tale. So what we're looking for is right here. It's not in a book. It's not hidden. It's not a special teaching. And where do we look for it? Where do we look for this? Another story, which is a very famous one, you may have heard. And this finds Nasruddin, the wise fool, frantically searching under a lamppost in the street, looking through the grass and all around in the, in the, in the um, gutters and in the drainage areas and all around the lamppost. And his friend comes walking down the street and he notices Nasruddin uh, frantically looking for something, searching for something. And the friend goes down with him and is kind of looking around with him. And he says, and they can't find anything. And so the friend says, well, what are you looking for? And Nasruddin says, I'm looking for my keys. I lost my keys. And the friend said, well, where did you last have them? And Nasruddin says, well, in the house. And the friend says, well, well, why aren't you looking for them in the house? Why are you looking for them under the lamppost? And Nasruddin says, because the light is better here. Okay, subtle, <laughs> but he's looking in the wrong place. He's looking not where he should be looking, where his keys were, but he's looking in a place that he feels he should be looking in <laughs> because the light is good there. This is sometimes what we do. We think we should be looking in the books. We should be looking in the 
we should be listening to the podcasts. <laughs> we should be um, um, going on retreats. We should be doing all of these things to find what, what's right in front of us. Where we left it was in here. Where we forgot about it is not under a lamppost where, the, where somebody else's light is shining, but right in here. So this is where to look. Don't look in the wrong place because you will just be suffering. You'll be looking you know, frantically around and reading books and, and trying to find it all in the teachings. Not to say that it isn't okay and wonderful to read the books and listen to the podcasts, but that's not where you're gonna find it. This um, is sometimes called, when we look in the wrong place or mistake the fact that what we're looking for is right in front of us and mistaken, mistakenly thinking that it's hidden or that it's a special teaching that you have to, as Gobin was saying, you have to be a, a monk or a transmitted Dharma teacher, you know, to find it. Um, this is sometimes called uh, spiritual materialism. This was a, a phrase coined by uh, Judy's teacher, um, Trungpa Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher. We can easily fall into what is called spiritual materialism. To think that if we master the history of Buddhism, if we read all the texts, if we um, study with X number of popular teachers, if we listen to all the, the podcasts that are recommended, then we'll be awakened. So we, we gather credentials. So I, I, become, I become a Dharma teacher. And because of that, I have authority. And um, with that authority, I can, uh, I can claim some things that other people can't claim. It's all materialist. It's all a materialist approach to spiritual practice. It doesn't matter how many books you've read. This is response to Michelle's question. It, it really doesn't matter. The practice is right in front of you and right in here. It's a spatial metaphor, but it's, it's in you. It's your birthright. So it's not about accumulating things or mastering the sutras or mastering the history of Buddhism. So Shulong, can you put up that um, image? This is a, an image of the sixth patriarch in China called Huineng. And this is a painting of Huineng 
tearing up the sutras. <laughs> and he's doing it gleefully. Now, in other religious traditions, this might be seen as heresy, <laughs> you know, as a crime, as a spiritual um, sin, tearing up the relics. Even there was a story once of, of a, um, a monk who, who actually threw a, a wooden Buddha statue into the fire to keep himself warm. Only in Zen would you sort of find this, um, what Alan Watts calls rascality. <laughs> this sort of iconoclastic breaking of rules, breaking of dogma. So now we can come back to me. Thank you, Shulong. This is almost like um, when Tibetan monks create sand paintings. It's an incredibly precise, time-consuming effort, and it's beautiful. And then how do they respond to it? What is the culminating act? Is that blowing it all away? tearing up the sutras, but not in a way of disrespect, but in a way of liberation, knowing where the true teaching is, knowing that it isn't in all of that material stuff. In um, advertising, there is a phrase called Selling the sizzle and not the steak. Selling the sizzle and not the steak. Be careful that you're not buying the sizzle. It's like, um, maybe many of you probably don't remember the Marlboro Man. <laughs> it's, um, you sell the cigarettes, you don't sell the cigarettes, you sell the Marlboro man. <laughs> you know, you don't sell the chewing gum <laughs> because the chewing gum is not that saleable. <laughs> so you sell an image of this very popular person chewing the gum, right? So in spiritual, in the spiritual life, it's often that the sizzle <laughs> is you know, what it looks like to be a Zen practitioner. All these credentials, oh, that's just so impressive. But what's underneath it is a cigarette. There's, there's really nothing there. Actually, it may be actually dangerous to identify our true practice with something as dangerous as a cigarette. So be careful of the selling of Zen. Be careful of the sizzle of all of the, the little sparkles and all of the credentials and all of the prestige and all of the whatever costumes. 
come with the practice. The, the genuine practice can't be sold. There's no sizzle to it, but we're looking for that. So Shikantaza is just that pure. It, it, there are lots of ways to try to sell it, but it's all sizzle and no steak. So if you look back, and actually even these days, if we think about studying, studying Buddhism, perhaps the, the most effective and wonderful way of studying is to hang out with others and particularly to hang out with your teacher. Buddha's teachings were done in the mode, you might say, of an apprenticeship. He didn't, um, he didn't assign readings to his disciples, to his students. They just hung out together. He didn't write his teachings down. He engaged with his disciples. So in the past, pretty much you apprenticed, you hung out with your teacher because that's how you studied what it meant to be a, an awakened person. You couldn't read it in a book. You had to feel it. You had to, I mean, I felt that uh, when I studied with Thich Nhat Hanh. I, I just, it, I could not have, I could not have um, understood deep in my bones what awakening might have meant unless I hung out with him for a while. Can't get it from his books. So we've been educated to think that we can't do it alone, that we need to listen to these podcasts, to these Dharma talks, to these reading these books, uh, that we have to rely on experts to help us realize the way. And I'll end with this story about confidence, which Coben, who is our lineage holder, stressed so deeply to trust yourself, to have confidence in your true nature. And this is a story, a little anecdote about a teacher in a, um, maybe a third grade class who was, um, teaching her, allowing her, her class to draw pictures 
And she would go around looking at each of their pictures and kind of commenting and encouraging them. And she came upon this little girl and was puzzled by what the little girl was starting to draw. And she said, she asked the little girl, what, what are you drawing here? And the little girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher said, <laughs> she's kind of laughed. And she said, you know, nobody knows what God looks like. <laughs> and the little girl said, they will in a moment. This, this is our being as a child and having this deep confidence that we know, we taste it. So our practice is beyond words and scripture. Shikan Taza. Thank you.